Hi, friends. Welcome back to another episode of Blame It on the Aliens. I'm your host, Callie, and happy freaking holidays. Of course, I have some spooky and glitchy and paranormally holiday, Christmassy themed stories for you guys this evening. And also just some really scary, let's not meet creepy encounters and some really cool glitch in the matrix stories as well. So with that being said, and without further ado, let's get into it. I live in Northern Europe. My country is cold and covered by a large forest and several lakes. My family consists of mother, father, and an elder brother who is three years older than me. And he's really important in the story. It's also important to know that my parents' house is in the middle of nowhere, just forest around it. There aren't even proper roads or any streetlights. And the nearest neighbor lives really far away. In my country, winter comes early and lasts longer than summer, so the days are dark almost all year round. My father is a fireman, my mother is a nurse, so they have always been on night shifts. They've left me and my brother home alone since we were just toddlers. I don't even know if it's even legal to leave us alone, but my brother has always been good at taking care of me. This particular evening was close to Christmas, Both of us were on winter break, but my brother still went to ice hockey practice. He was really tired that night after practice, and father and mother had gone to work at night and left us alone. I was eight at the time, and my brother was 11. We often slept next to each other downstairs in our parents' bed, but I decided to be a big girl that night and sleep in my own bed upstairs. I just really wanted to play my Nintendo, and I knew my brother wouldn't let me. My brother was so tired after training and he just wanted to go to sleep. We ate, brushed our teeth and went to our rooms upstairs. My room faced the forest and his room faced the only dirt road. There's a hall and a toilet between our rooms. My brother must have fallen asleep right away, but I played and played. I played for so long that I lost track of time. I was under my covers in case my brother came to scold me and I started to hear something outside. However, I didn't pay attention to it at first. I've lived all my life in the middle of the forest. I mean, you can hear voices from there all the time. The small noises changed in a second. Someone started shouting, I mean, almost screaming. It sounded like a grown man who was wounded. I lifted my head from under the covers, startled, and listen for a moment. I called him my brother's name, but he didn't answer. I got up from my bed and ran to my brother's room. He slept soundly. I started rocking him awake. At the same time, I saw from his alarm clock that it was two in the morning. My brother woke up confused. Do you hear that? 
I asked in a whisper. My brother's eyes widened and all sleep vanished from his eyes. He sprang up. He didn't say anything. He just walked towards my room. The shouting came from somewhere in the forest. We stood together in my room and stared out into the darkness. I think someone needs help, I said quietly. But my brother's expression didn't change. His face was like stone. No, no one needs the help of two kids. Besides, if he needed help, he would be screaming for help. My brother turned around. He was right. I heard no words, just screaming. My brother walked downstairs and I ran after him. Our house has three doors. He tried each of them to make sure they were locked. He took our father's headlamp because it had the strongest light. Then he picked up the house phone. It was 2010, so not all kids had their own phones. He made sure all the lights were off and took my hand. He started to lead us back upstairs. Then he stopped. The shouting had changed. It no longer sounded scared or needy for help. It sounded irritated, almost angry, like it was annoyed that we didn't come out looking for it. My brother squeezed my hand and pulled me upstairs. He stared at my room for a moment before he pulled me into his room with him. He closed the door and sat behind his bed, pulling me into his arms. It was dark everywhere. My brother hadn't turned on the headlamp, but he had 112 ready on the phone, our country's emergency number. I sat there in silence. The sound had come closer until it was clearly behind the window of my room. We heard someone banging on the window and I started to sob. My brother struck my head to calm me down, but it didn't help. I was so scared. The sound seemed to be coming closer and closer. It had climbed the fire escape under my window and was now traveling along the rain gutters towards my brother's window. Then it became quiet. It stopped screaming, but we could hear it clinging to the rain gutters to get closer to us. Then it was too quiet. My brother turned on the headlamp and pointed the light towards his window. Nothing. He turned off the light and waited a moment. Then he pointed the light at the window again. Nothing. He turned it off and waited, then pointed the light at the window. Nothing. He turned it off. Then there was a big crash, as if a big pile of snow had dripped from the roof down to the terrace. My brother flashed the light in the window, and there was something on it. The kind of trace that is left when you breathe too close to glass in cold weather. There was a trace of mist on it. My brother immediately turned off the light. Whatever it was, it had fallen down because my brother's window had nothing to hold on to. We started hearing moaning. It sounded only partially human anymore. It sounded more like a bear. I mean, if you've ever heard the sound of a bear makes when he gets shot, I mean, that's what it sounded like. But it had a touch of man. Then the voice became angry again and it threw a full tantrum. It started hitting the wall of the house. I squeezed my eyes shut and pressed my head against my brother's shirt. It raged for a while, but started to whine and moan again. It no longer sounded human at all. I can't remember what it was like, but it just didn't sound natural. My brother dropped the headlamp on the floor and hugged me tightly. 
We listened to the sound for quite a long time. I don't remember at what point I fell asleep, but I woke in the morning and the beautiful morning sun reflected against the white snow. I was laying on my brother's bed and he was sitting next to me reading comics. He smiled. Had I been dreaming? I didn't have time to say anything when we heard the lock on the front door open. It was nine o'clock and dad had just come home. My brother cheerfully jumped out of bed and ran to greet dad downstairs. Maybe I had a nightmare and went to sleep next to my brother? I mean, it doesn't sound impossible, especially since my brother didn't mention it in the morning. I convinced myself that I had really seen a nightmare that felt real. I believed so for many, many years. However, that changed. My brother came to visit me yesterday. Nowadays, I live in the capital of my country, far from my mother and father because I go to university. My brother broke up with his long-term girlfriend and I promised that he could bunk in my place as long as he needed. We had a lot of fun, just like old times. We drank some wine and watched a movie and just talked about everything. Then we started talking about a little deeper things, which usually happens after drinking wine. I turned to look out my window. Winter was coming and it was already dark and just brought back childhood memories. I told him about a dream I had when I was little while looking at the street lamps outside. This darkness reminds me of when I had a nightmare as a child. I dreamed that someone screamed behind my window and I hid in your room with you. Wasn't I a strange girl? I laughed and turned to look at my brother. My brother's now 23 and he's huge. He's into bodybuilding and has a blonde beard. I mean, he looks a bit like a Viking, and I've never seen a look on him like that as an adult. He looked at me with big green eyes. He was pale, like he had seen a ghost. I freaked out a little. What? I asked awkwardly. You remember that? He asked, and it got quiet. What do you mean? Wasn't it a dream? I was so confused. My brother looked really startled as if I had digged up a memory from his mind that he wanted to forget. Answer me, I thought I had a nightmare. I was startled too. My brother shook his head. I thought you wouldn't remember that, you were so little. I hoped you would forget. My brother looked at me blankly and told me his side of the story. He told me how I had fallen asleep in his arms from exhaustion. He pushed me to his bed, but didn't fall asleep himself. He sat by my side all night like a guard dog. The morning had begun to dawn, and the sound began to fade until it just disappeared. My brother still couldn't sleep. He decided to start reading comics to pass the time, and in the morning when my father had come home, my brother had gone out to look for tracks, but since it had snowed all night and morning, all the tracks were covered. For the next week, my brother visited my room several times a night to make sure I was sleeping safely. We started talking more about what happened. Neither of us ever mentioned what happened to anybody. I asked him why he didn't call 112, but he just shook his head. Who would have believed me? He was right. It would have sounded like a prank invented by little boys. My brother also said that he was annoyed that he didn't flash the light to the window sooner. He would have wanted to see what the creature looked like. 
I was just happy that I hadn't seen anything. I'm also happy to know that I'm not crazy. It wasn't a dream. I have a witness. My brother experienced it too, and he remembers it better than I do. No one else has to believe me. I mean, no one else would believe me. I mean, of course, it's possible that somehow we created the whole thing in our heads. We have no physical evidence of what happened, and it happened years ago. It's very possible that we were just kids with overactive imaginations. I'm certainly not denying that possibility. However, I'm interested to know if anyone else has experienced something similar. And if you have, did you see it? That creature? And if you did, what did it look like? This is a long time ago, before cell phones were prevalent. And I was a mom in my early 30s who had just driven our kids to the pediatrician. The Macon, Georgia doctor's office was an hour away from our home, and I was just taking the two youngest of my three, then ages one and three years old, to our scheduled appointment. Because we lived so far away, their office always gave us the last two appointments of the day, and we were grateful. The doctor had just built a new building off of a fresh spur of the highway, so the location was quite isolated in every direction but a very nice facility compared to his old spot by the hospital there. His new building was also pretty far back on the new lot. And my car, a black Jeep Cherokee we had owned for two years, was one of only four or five cars in the parking lot when we arrived. I parked near the front door, removed the kids from their car seats, and for the next hour or so we waited and then saw the doctor, paid, and finally exited back outside. Mine was the only car left in the lot as I loaded the children in their car seats for our trip home. But as the receptionist locked the front glass doors, my car somehow wouldn't start when I turned the key. There was just an odd clicking noise. Gathering the children once again, I knocked on the door until someone allowed us back in and asked to borrow their phone to call a nearby garage for service. I found one in the phone book and the man said that he would come, but that it might be a bit. So I told him my location, left to go back out to the car, rolled down all the windows and loaded the children back into their seats once more as we waited. Soon we watched as all the lights were turned out in the building again and everyone left. Their cars departing one by one from behind the building somewhere, leaving us now completely alone in the parking lot. As it was still light, I spent a lot of that time trying to tend to the children, digging through our car for snacks and a bottle, making sure that they weren't getting too hot, etc. Although the service station attendant said that it probably was going to be quite a while, I was pleasantly surprised when a truck pulled into the empty parking lot pretty soon and a man got out of his pickup, smiled and nodded to me and said he was going to raise the hood. He was a middle-aged and a bit scruffy man, but quite frankly, many gas station attendants sometimes look that way, especially at the end of the day. I was just grateful when he began doing something under the hood, almost immediately. I sat down again in the driver's seat with the door open, waiting for him to tell me to try the engine, but he seemed to be taking a long time checking the connections, and I just longed for him to just grab jumper cables 
yet he never did. Without getting out of the car, I asked him what he thought was wrong, and he said, oh, it's just a loose wire, not the battery, and continued whatever he was doing. I couldn't see his face at all from where I was sitting, but his hands were slightly visible through the long horizontal slit between the windshield and the raised hood as we waited. More than once, he said that it was merely a loose wire. And if I, quote, would just come up here really quick, he would show me which one it was so that it would never happen again. I remember kind of smiling and shaking my head, saying that sadly there was no reason to show me anything as I didn't know anything about cars. I just thanked him and continued to stay in the driver's seat, again, just waiting for the inevitable signal to try to start the engine or anything that was most surely coming at any moment. At one point, I remember thinking that he was definitely flirting as he spoke, but I was trying above all to be polite and kind as he was indeed helping us. We were hot and tired and miserable, and truthfully, I I was getting distracted with the kids. Oddly enough, he was starting to sound a little frustrated with me because I wouldn't come up and look at the engine. I remember thinking that I certainly didn't want to make him mad. I mean, what if he left us there all alone with the sun sinking so quickly? And then the strangest thing happened. Another truck suddenly pulled into that desolate parking lot. And as it did, this nice guy working underneath my hood suddenly slammed it shut, ran to his truck, started it, and drove away very quickly. I mean, without even saying a word of goodbye. I was both confused and a little anxious when he did this because I didn't know who was now arriving. I even remember feeling a little frightened that he had suddenly left me there alone with two little ones defenseless. Why wouldn't he at least stay and speak to whoever was parking next to me now? I mean, it certainly seemed the southerly gentleman thing to do. I looked around and was very aware once again that there was no visible cars on the road, I mean, no homes or businesses nearby, and the sun was continuing to set quickly. As this new, also unmarked pickup pulled in next to me, I got out of the car once again, this time more apprehensively. Upon exiting, though, he immediately introduced himself, and his name and voice seemed to match who I'd spoken to on the phone much earlier. He then actually called me by name, apologized for being so late, and finally smiled and stared towards the road, pointing and asking who the man was that had just left so suddenly. Relieved and unfazed, I just smiled back in surprise and told him, well, I don't know. I thought all this time he was you. And we both laughed slightly as he then grabbed jumper cables, walked to the front of my car, raised the hood and started to work. I immediately sat back in the driver's seat once more, suddenly grateful that with luck, the air conditioner would be blowing full blast shortly and once again checking the children. While listening for familiar words, try it. I had my back completely turned towards the children when he surprised me by suddenly coming to the driver's side door. And in the strangest voice, he said, uh, uh, ma'am, is this yours? And when I looked into his hands, he was holding a long, thin, dagger-like looking device that was about a foot and a half in length. It appeared to be very old and covered with reddish rust, 
Yet on one end, it had a tiny circular small finger holes. I mean, it was as if it was a mix of long, thin sword and scissors oddly combined. I remember being amazed, but not frightened. And I asked where he had found them. Uh, Under the hood, he replied. I said, just matter-of-factly, that I'd never seen them before, but how weird was it that those things had somehow been stuck and undiscovered in my car for all those years? And shook my head in surprise. He continued to stand there and stare at them unbelievingly. And he looked oddly pale, too. Like he couldn't find the words to speak for a bit, just continuing to stare at the unusual object. Honestly, I didn't care one bit about it. All I could think about was getting the car going, letting me pay him and the cost, and leaving. He didn't say anything else. He just quickly set them on the curb, started his truck, and then signaled for me to start the Jeep. And when it immediately called, my three-year-old cheered. Grateful, I quickly turned on the air conditioner full blast, rolled up all the windows, aimed the air vents back towards the back seat, and reached for my purse to pay out. I stood up and took a few steps to meet him so I could hear the amount now owed. With both of our vehicles running, he came back around to the driver's side, but instead of handing me the bill, he irritated me a bit by walking right past me and picking up that weird object once more. Ma'am, he said slowly, I want you to look at these one more time. And he held them out closer for inspection. And this time I moved a bit closer and actually really looked. In his hands, the item still appeared incredibly large, possessing an almost bayonet-looking quality, except for the strangely small two loops on one end. I'd never seen anything like it and told him so. As he held it, he spoke quietly and slowly to me, as if trying desperately to make me understand something that was somehow still going over my head. These weren't hidden somewhere in the engine, ma'am. They hadn't been there very long at all, because they were sitting right on top. They must have just been put there. I shook my head no and half smiled as I said, but they're obviously very old and rusty. To which she pointed more closely and replied, yeah, but but you see how sharp they are? I mean, they look like they've just been sharpened. And when I looked down, he was right. The long, skinny, dagger-like shape was unusual, but by far the oddest quality was just how sharp it appeared to be. The edges at the tip where the rust had been removed were gleaming silver. As I paid him, his final words to me were, Ma'am, I don't know what was about to happen here, but I'm really glad I pulled up when I did. He quietly thanked me when taking the payment, told me that I probably needed to call the police when I got home, and then asked me where I wanted the item. I didn't want to touch it. I didn't want to take it at all. But I released the back window so he could place it inside. We both then left the lot together, him turning one way, me turning the other, towards the small, winding highway that would lead me home, still an hour away. I did indeed contact the Macon police the moment that we arrived home, and I got the children inside safely. But although they listened politely, they declined when I offered to bring the scissor-like thing to them later. 
The officer I spoke to said that they sounded as if they were specialized surgical shears. And from my description and measurements on the phone, which I found quite disturbing, as you can imagine, I remember wondering how he would even know that and why he would say that. I tried so carefully not to touch any of the surfaces, hoping that they might be able to lift prints or test it for blood if they wanted. But the story seemed to bore him a bit and he didn't seem interested. His attitude insinuated that as there was no longer an emergency, it was no longer important now. At the very end of the call, as if to wind things up, he did say that it sounded as if I was very lucky and that I might want to keep the shears for a few days just in case someone from his office got back to me later. But that was all. I wrapped them carefully in newspaper and placed them in a brick storage unit behind our house. And there they remained for several more years untouched until we moved away and I finally, not wanting to bring them across several states, reluctantly threw them in the trash. Around that time though, if you look through old news reports, women were going missing all over Georgia. I mean, some bodies were eventually found, but others remain missing to this very day. I've often wondered what would have happened if the service station attendant hadn't arrived when he did. If my children would still have a mother, if I would still have my son and daughter, if I would have missed all these years with them. I guess I'll never know, but I learned something very important about myself that day. I had always felt that I was pretty aware of my surroundings, pretty good at reading people and staying safe. But because I was exhausted and tired and hot and stranded in a different city, my common sense and intelligence simply left me for a bit and wasn't working at that time. And many of my friends and family still think that our car trouble that day and my lack of awareness could have easily cost us our lives. I work in a well-known clothing retail store in the UK. Not allowed to say which store or company, as in my contract, I'm not permitted to talk about the company in what could be perceived as a negative way. And I work in the stock room as part of the delivery stock team. About two or three weeks before Christmas 2014, maybe in between, I had asked my store manager if I could work some overtime to get more money for Christmas presents, and she thought this was a smart move as my stock room manager was out of the country on holiday for a week visiting family. Nearing to Christmas, the deliveries get pretty big, almost three times the size of regular delivery, so there was work available for me to come in and complete. It would involve stripping clothes from packets and hanging them within the stock room. My manager had asked that rather than come in on a day I don't usually work, I work there part-time, that I should instead stay for additional hours past my contracted ones, which meant I had to lock up. My manager trusted me to do this as I've worked there for almost three years now, so she handed me her master key. The only other master key was with my stockery manager who was currently out of the country. This is where it begins. The time was nearing to around 8 p.m. at night. All of my colleagues had left the building and I had locked the door after them, turned off the store music and secured the bottom loading bay where the deliveries come in. 
I was in the stock room on the second floor putting some hangers on the racking so that I could use them for the next delivery. I was stood underneath the puppy or teddy that was stuffed between a pipe and a wooden piece of racking facing me. And the teddy was an old toy from a delivery that was left behind and my colleagues had given it a name. The name I can't remember because the teddy isn't really spoken of much. It just sits there. My iPod was plugged into a pair of speakers that had been in the stock room since ever. Only small things and I was happily completing my task. Happily until I heard a noise. Yes, that might sound cliche, but this noise was very familiar to my ears and it was a noise of the bottom loading bay shutters being opened. I thought someone must be in the store as the only way to open and shut them is from a panel next to them from the inside. So I paused my music and proceeded to walk down the stairs out back to the bottom loading bay. It was when I was about halfway down, the noise suddenly stopped. What I can say that always creeps me out about the place is that the lighting around the corridors, staircases, and stock rooms were lit up by strip lights. And these strip lights had sensors on them. So whenever you walked under one, you'd hear a small click and it would come on. So there I was gliding down the stairs, click, click, click. I burst into the loading bay expecting to see one of my colleagues, but lo and behold, it it was empty. The shutters were shut. I embraced a shitter down my spine and simply ran around and paced back to my workstation in the stockroom. I eliminated the strip lights and continued to hang some more hangers, the music from my iPod playing along, calming my nerves, until I remembered I turned my iPod off. I spun around horrified and just stared at my iPod over on the shelf. And as I took a breath and shook my head, I caught a glimpse glimpse of where the teddy should have been sitting. I was drenched with panic and just took a step back to look further down the stock room, about a hundred yard stretch where I had suspected a culprit had fled only to face darkness. I stood for a moment, still bewildered by what had just unfolded when I heard a faint click. I instantly moved to my right to get a good look down the stock room, but yet I still faced darkness. Click, click, click. Was all I heard gradually getting louder, closer. This is when Pavlov's theory kicked in and I realized no lights were switching on in sync with the click. No light switched on at all. I turned to the door to see my only exit route, then spun my head around back to be greeted with a dark figure in the distance. The figure was big. I mean, what I can only describe as perhaps a bodybuilder male. I need glasses for long distance things and usually only wear them in the cinema or at football games anyway. The darkness didn't help. And within his hand, I could see a small object. Although when the hand clutched it, I can make out that it was the teddy. That is when I felt adrenaline scream run. Out of the stock room, down the corridor, through two doors and to my right, straight into the ladies' toilets opposite the two offices. I ran straight into one of the four cubicles, the middle one, and locked myself in. 
and I crouched in the toilet, crouched and shaking, partly because, I mean, I'm a tall guy and partly because my heart was hammering in my ears, putting my balance off. The doors of the toilet took a while to close slowly as they should and listened out for anybody to be approaching. The door shut closed, which gave me a little bit of relief and I stopped and blinked, thinking for a moment, and I wiped the sweat off my brow with my left forearm. And as my head turned to meet my arm, I glanced down at the bottom of the cubicle and a face was there. A face was pulling away from underneath just as I caught a glimpse of the mouth and nose. My only description is that the teeth were black and seemed slightly bloody from a self-inflicted wound and by the grayish skin tone and wrinkles, the person was old. I was injected with pure fear when I screamed, fuck off, and kicked at the door, making it shake and slam, echoing around the walls in a thunder. I swung the door, looked back, took a deep breath and braced myself before darting out of the toilets into the front of the store. I was charging along, prepared to attack anything to save myself from injury. Yet nothing stood between me and the front door. I unlocked it with shaking hands and ran outside. I knew I had left my coat and iPod inside, but I was eager to get out. Locking the sliding doors behind me, I spun to the shutter lock on the wall. It's located at the bottom of the wall, and for this reason I'm unsure of, it's always been a hassle for people. I turned the key inside the lock and the shutters were descending. The store shutters were on the inside of the store, just past the alarms, and as I crouched there, slowly watching the shutters come down, again, I witnessed the figure still holding the teddy in the middle of the shop floor. It was dark outside and it was dark inside at this point, and the shop floor lights are different and have to be switched on in the office. I closed my eyes and begged the shutter to hurry as it hit the floor and I snatched the key away and ran down the road to the high street. My phone was in my pocket where it's always kept, so I called the police and told them what happened. I told them I believed a mail had broken in. The police arrived shortly, and I let them into the store. I had them escort me to the office to turn the lights on, and as I reached the office, I noticed the computer was on. I told them this wasn't on before, but they sped me up to turn the lights on so that they could search the store. After touring them around the store to search, even the lift, they found nobody and told me to go home. The officers had said that they would contact my manager tomorrow. The next day I arrived at work at opening time, even though I wasn't scheduled to work, and I was greeted by different officers from the night before and my store manager. We proceeded to go to the office just after my manager had opened the store and let my colleagues set up. The officers had said that they would continue a search that day and night again and that my manager should ask for CCTV to be installed. The reason our store doesn't have cameras is because the theft rate isn't high enough to have them, apparently. We all think that's dumb, but then again, we get away with messing around sometimes. I walked to the stockroom to get my iPod and coat before leaving when one last stab of fear yanked my heart to my boots when I glared at the teddy stuffed back into its usual space. I was allowed to contract the days off that week to rest. I think my manager thought I was seeing things and needed to sort myself out. I returned to work as usual and I was happy to do so as it was within the daytime and the store was full with people. Nothing has happened since. 
I still don't know how it was possible or what happened. If it was a prank or someone or people had a motive. Some people think I'm crazy. Some think it might be a group. Tell me what you think. This was the worst experience of my life. This happened over 20 years ago. I was driving back home with my girlfriend at the time. It was Christmas Eve and my mother's family used to hold a large celebration at my aunt's house in Estacada. This was my girlfriend's first time meeting with my extended family, but she got on with them quite well. We spent the majority of the afternoon and evening talking, playing poker, opening presents, and drinking an assortment of adult beverages. My girlfriend had been quite inebriated by the time we had to leave. Therefore, I would be driving us home. It was around 11 p.m. or so, and I was driving my girlfriend's car along Highway 211. Now, this stretch of road is surrounded by farms and dense patches of forest, and parts of it are unlit. But nothing to fear. I mean, I grew up in the area, so I know this road like the back of my hand. The both of us were just driving and talking away, just two young lovers making the most of our moment together. There's a portion of the highway that descends down an enormous hill before crossing Deep Creek. Surrounding both sides of the road are thick forests. There are no lights, and the only thing we could see was the direct area in front of our headlights. I drive down the hill, cross the bridge, and uphill through more forests. It says the highway starts to flatten out that it happens. Something sprints across the road so suddenly that I almost hit whatever it was. I slam on my brakes and I turn to my girlfriend and ask her if she saw it. She confirmed that she had, but she couldn't make out what it was. Maybe it was a coyote? And as they're a fairly common sight in this area, I don't know, but something felt off about it. Whatever it was that ran in front of our car disappeared into the woods next to the road. The coyotes don't usually just dart out in front of cars. Not like that anyway. So for some reason, I decided to check it out. I turned the car around and switched on the high beams to better light up the forest in which this thing had just vanished in. I step out of the car and walk towards the woods. I don't see anything. But now it feels like perhaps I'd made a grave error. My heart is pounding and the hairs on the back of my neck are standing at full attention. But I still don't see anything unusual in the trees. Suddenly, the car's horn blasts. I mean, it's not just a normal beep that you'd get if, say, your driver or passenger wanted you to hurry up and get in the car. No, this was a long, blaring beep. I walk back into the car and ask my girlfriend why she leaned on the horn like that. She said nothing. Instead, she pointed to a spot about 50 feet from where I was just standing. I looked over in that direction, and that's when I saw it. Surely, this was the thing that ran in front of our car. And it was a man. He was completely naked. His skin was covered in dirt and mud. And in one of his hands, He was holding a hatchet. 
He looked back at us, and then he smiled and waved to us just before turning around and walking back into the forest. Needless to say, we got the hell out of there. Once we were safely driving again, my girlfriend explained what had just happened. While I was trying to look for the man in the area he initially vanished in, he circled back around and came out from another spot in the forest beyond my car headlights. My girlfriend had seen something out of the corner of her eye, and that's when she saw him before she honked the horn. He was walking towards me. His hatchet was raised as if making to strike me. We called the authorities once we got safely back home, but they never found anybody. Or they didn't, just didn't tell us. But the officer we spoke to explained his theory. The man was obviously looking to ambush unsuspecting lone travelers for Lord only knows what reason. We all agreed that my girlfriend's quick thinking saved my life as it let my potential killer know that I wasn't alone out there. I moved back into the area recently, so I now drive that highway often. No naked hatchet man sightings yet, but I can tell you that I'm definitely extra vigilant now, especially near Deep Creek. When I was seven or eight, my parents took me to a Christmas market that had tons of activities for kids. I didn't know this at the time, but my parents were fighting and thus preoccupied and just mostly left me on my own. The way it worked was you bought some vouchers at the door and could then go inside and use one voucher for one activity. There was stuff like baking cookies, painting stuff, wood burning for older kids, etc. It was pretty fantastic. Some of the stuff had cues if there was a lot of interest. And now I'd gotten about 10 vouchers and activities about 15 minutes and my parents weren't in a cafe in the building, but well out of sight. Since it was an area you could only get into if you accompanied a kid or were a kid, I guess they felt safe leaving me alone. This was allowed, but not encouraged. Anyway, I was queuing for my favorite activity there the fabric painting section, where you got a piece of linen and could draw Christmas patterns and stuff on it. It was already my third time, but whatever, right? I had to queue, and when I was about halfway to the entrance, someone grabbed my arm. I panicked immediately because my parents would never have touched me like that, and I knew nobody else there. I yelped and tried to pull away, but I couldn't. Turning, I saw it was an older lady, maybe 40s to 50s, not sure. She was well-dressed, looked pretty strict, but normal. Anyway, she was pulling me out of the queue against my will. I tried to yell and ask her to let me go, but she just said something like, You always do this. Come on, Marie. My name is not Marie, not even close. I yelled as much, still thinking that she just confused me for someone else. I was a pretty average-looking girl with a brunette ponytail, nothing particularly special, nor were my clothes. She looked down at me again, scoffed, and told me to stop throwing a tantrum and that we were going home. 
It was at that exact moment that I realized if I didn't escape, she would take me away. So I just basically opened my mouth and screamed at the top of my lungs. Not words, just a screech. Before that, I'd mostly asked to be released, etc. loud, but not full on screaming. I was a polite kid. She paused mid-step because clearly I'd startled her, but didn't let go yet. So I just screamed about the only thing I could really make sense of. My name is Sam. This was the first time that people actually looked at us as more than a mom, grandma, and a kid in a tantrum because I'm clearly too old to not know my name and also visibly scared. I was still trying to pull away, but she had a grip on my forearm like a vice. I made eye contact with the first random person I saw looking over, a guy, early 30s, I guess, definitely younger than her. And I just pled for him to help me. And he actually came over at that point. We were inside of the exit. She dragged me for quite far, and I guess at that point, she decided it was too much of a hassle and let me go. Since I'd been fighting her, I immediately slammed into the ground, which actually prompted more people to step up to me and help. I was sobbing, and as soon as I could get to my feet, ran to the other way for my parents. I must have barreled into 10 plus people and kids on the way to where I knew my parents were. It was the cafe, like I said, and they were in the middle. My mom had super recognizable fake red hair, so even sobbing, I could see her easily. I banged into a table, knocked stuff over, and just threw myself at my mother. I was in no state to explain, and she was both mad at me for making a scene and really fucking worried because I was not the type to cause a disturbance pretty much ever. I wanted to explain, but I couldn't. There was a bit of a commotion around with people being nosy, but as I calmed down, I realized that the guy I had begged for help was explaining to my parents what had happened. I hadn't even noticed him come with and kind of tunes in when he kept asking if my grandma was here or something. Not even in the same country, just me and my parents, and if I could have known her, etc. Obviously, my mother confirmed that that was not the case and asked if what he'd told her was right. He'd confirmed that some woman was dragging me off, calling me Marie. My parents, the guy, his son, who was a fair few years older than me, maybe 15 or so, went with me to security where I tried and failed to describe the lady. The guy had a much better description of her, but she was obviously long gone. I think they called police, but I never spoke to any cops that I can remember. I felt really awkward and sorry that I ruined the other kid's day there, so I gave him the rest of my voucher so he could do more stuff if he wanted. He was a really nice guy. He gave me a pack of cookies he baked to eat while the adults were talking. I don't remember any of their names or anything, but I remember how grateful I was to the kid, more so than his daddy then. I mean, it just really comforted me that I had another kid around who was nice. Anyway, my parents took me home ASAP, of course, and we never went to that place again. There was a short story in the newspaper the next day about a kidnapping scare, my mother told me some years later. But it was all just speculation, and they didn't even confirm in the paper if it was an attempt or just a misunderstanding. Well, it sure as shit was not a misunderstanding. 
They never called the lady or did any follow-ups, etc. as far as I'm aware. I actually had bruises on my arm where she gripped me through my sweater. I still don't like Christmas markets very much. I was traveling a long stretch of highway. It was early in the morning and the road was clear. I had my GPS on to give me an ETA and help with the end of the journey. I knew I had to stay on this single highway until almost the very end. I had traveled this highway many times before and I was familiar with the landmarks. There's a clump of trees in the middle of a field. Then there's the farmer with the handmade political signs, then a blue barn. Then there's an exit sign that's at a 45 degree angle. Subtle details interspersed along the long stretches of empty fields, but I know them well. I was listening to my music and I was mildly annoyed every time the GPS paused it to give me the next set of directions, but I tolerated it because I would need it when I reached my exit. In two miles, go straight to stay on Highway XX. Go straight to stay on Highway XX. Then a few minutes later, in two miles, go straight to stay on Highway XX. Go straight to stay on Highway XX. This continued for several rounds until I slowly started to pull my attention from the constantly interrupted music to the GPS. When it would tell me to stay straight, there was no possible turnoff that it might be telling me to avoid. It was just straight highway. Annoyed, I decided to turn off the GPS for the bulk of the journey and just use it instead as I neared my exit. As I reached for my phone to change the command, I noticed I was passing a derelict cheese shop that I had seen many times before on my previous journeys. I deleted the GPS command and returned my attention to the road, only to see that the same derelict cheese shop passed by again. The rest of my journey was uneventful, and as I approached my exit, I replaced the GPS command, only to see my destination was immediately off the highway. But I also noticed that I was 11 minutes late from my original ETA. But there had been no traffic or other reason that I might have been delayed. And the journey had only supposed to have taken just over an hour, but it had in fact taken closer to an hour and a half. My grandfather is a recently retired biologist and former conservation officer for the state. And he was a regional specialist and was over wildlife and habitat management for many years. He's done everything from habitat management programs, controlled fires to benefit areas, to quite literally wrangling moose to be transplanted and darting black bears. He's seen mountain lions, bears, birds of all kinds, small mammals, remnants, plants and natural phenomena for a majority of his life. And he understands so much that many people, including myself, will never be able to even imagine. He's scientific, honest, 
straightforward, level-headed, and he's agnostic and is not superstitious. And often he's to tease a certain someone who thinks certain Bigfoot, skinwalkers, and other beings exist. Other than this experience, he has never encountered an animal that he couldn't at least partially, if not completely, identify. And other than the natural innate fear of being in close quarters with a bear, drunken and belligerent hunter, or incredibly potent tranquilizer medication, he's told me over and over he's never been terrified of an animal or an experience like this, only curious or surprised. It was late September, and we were in a small camp by a lake in the high Uinta Mountains, hunting both grouse and mule deer with muzzleloaders. The camp was a small collection of men and women my grandfather had worked with over the years, and as a supervisor and biologist, CO, and these were people I grew up with. One of the women, a new wife to one of the guys, had shot a buck deer, injuring but not quite killing it immediately, and they had lost track of it. Devastated by the thought of wasting the animal, she returned to camp in the afternoon upset and concerned that the deer had run into an even more secluded area of the mountain, which was hard to reach from the trail that she had shot from, a place my grandfather was familiar with because it was such a pain in the ass to get to, with lots of deadfall and steep terrain. We volunteered to go in the late afternoon to search for the deer, following a scant blood trail that had tracked for a while before getting fatigued and intimidated by the terrain. Because both my grandfather and I were in good shape and he was so familiar, it didn't seem like a big deal. Before we left, she mentioned hearing what she assumed was coyotes and we made her even more so concerned that if the deer died, they would ruin the meat and hide before she could harvest it. We took off in the early evening, expecting to be back within an hour or two after searching and having our guns with us in case we found the animal still alive or came across another buck worth trying to harvest. It was steep in places with lots and lots of deadfall and varying heights, making the hike slower and more tedious than we hoped and making us understand the other hunter's fatigue. She had marked the blood trail with bright orange pieces on the trees, which we followed for maybe 20 minutes and then it got hard to track. The sun was getting close to setting at this point and we knew getting out would be just as long as getting in. We had just about decided to stop when we found a spot near a fallen tree that looked like it had been recently bedded down in, followed with splatters of fairly fresh blood and we continued for longer. When the sun had just about set and the light had faded from the trees, we removed the firing caps from our guns to make them now completely safe as it was now illegal and irresponsible to hunt in such absence of decent light. My grandfather pulled out his large mag flashlight from his pack and I put my headlamp in to begin the hike back, using our GPS to find the trailhead. About 10 minutes on the way back, we started to hear more movement among the trees. It was normal for animals to start moving now that the sun had gone down, as animals would likely be starting to head towards clearings for water or to graze in the safety of lower light. Small and distant sounds of crunching leaves Patterings of hooves, animals, or small bits of movement in the trees from squirrels or birds were common and expected. We did not expect the deafening, disturbing sound that we heard next, which vaguely and initially reminded me of a coyote howl. But by a few seconds in, it was unidentifiable, frightening, and 
human-like. It started with what sounded like a person screaming, but then got louder and more intense with a screech to it. So unlike any coyote or any animal we'd ever heard. Then was the almost chittering that came in between the shrieks, and the movement of the trees became almost calculated, I mean, almost threatening. We stopped dead in our tracks, frozen as my grandfather started using the light to look around. I was far more freaked out than him at this point. He just seemed perplexed, curious, and a little baffled at what could have made that sound. I mean, it sounded human, but with no words, with no urge of tone of help or I'm just screaming to mess with you. We continued on after it mostly stopped and it seemed like the other natural and distant sounds had gone almost silent. I listened intently to the sound of my boots crunching with the dry aspen leaves underfoot, trying to tell myself that it was just some weird coyote with a horrible, deformed larynx or something. Maybe 20 minutes from the main trail that would lead us to the truck, we heard the chittering sound again and sounds of thumping against dead trees. Looking around with our lights in between deadfall, maybe 12 to 15 feet in front of us, was a large human-looking thing. It was almost haunched down with a long slender arm around the front of a standing aspen. The aspen, of course, was pale white with the knots being dark brown and whatever it was had skin almost as pale. I caught a very brief glimpse of its face. It seemed round and the eyes seemed sunken and I could not tell you the eye color other than a flash of reflection on the eye from the light and that its face seemed sunken and emaciated. I didn't see any fur or hair. I never felt like it looked right at me, more my grandfather, and just in our direction, almost confused and curious, like he was before with the sound. For a mere couple of seconds, I caught a glimpse of it, but that was it. I looked down at the ground, holding my eyes shut tight, trying to imagine being safe and secure in the truck, and my grandfather took a few stumbling steps backward towards me. I heard the thing go off to our side, moving quickly and with purpose through the trees to the side and then drop down behind us as I assumed according to the sound. But I hope it went in the opposite direction. My grandfather turned to where it veered off and asked to follow it, but he soon stopped and looked at me. I had never before and never since seen him so confused, baffled, horrified, curious, and in awe. I was crying at this point, ugly crying. I mean, trying to muffle my shaking breathing and voice. And I asked him, what was that? Over and over, I asked, and he had no answer for me. He pulled his gun off his shoulder sling and put a cap back on the nipple of the igniter, making the gun live. And he then carried it in front of his body in his arm. He pulled out another headlight to put on himself. And we started walking again towards the trail as he listed off as like talking to himself as to what it wasn't. Things like, I mean, it couldn't have been a deer or an elk or a moose. It had arms, it, it was hunched. It stood upright or a, a bear, a, a very sick bear. I mean, it couldn't have been a bear. Was it the light? We heard the sound, the screeching human howl distantly once more before reaching the trail, which was dirt and gravel, but fairly flat and no deadfall. We practically jogged to the truck. I locked the doors immediately and sobbed, and my grandfather turned on music as loud as possible to try to distract me on the way back to the camp. I was a mess, 
when we arrived back and he went to talk with the others by the fire when he got me settled in my sleeping bag in the bunk. He explained to some of his friends that I don't know what was all said. The next day, everyone was extra sweet to me, trying to comfort me and saying it was probably a sick animal that looked scary in the dark. The deer the hunter shot was found the next day in the daylight, scavenged quite harshly by what I assumed was coyotes. To this day, he has no clue what it was, nor what that sound was. And before and since, I've heard both coyote and many other animal sounds that never even compared to that sound. The scientist in me and in him, the hopeful and blissfully ignorant people in us, hope and speculate it was just a deformed, sick animal in scant light, but I still have no clue on what that thing was. And I hope I never experience it again. About a year ago, I received a very odd phone call. For a little context, back in early March of 2021, I was desperately looking for a job. I must have applied to at least 80 different places, many of which got back to me. And in April of 2021, I got a job at Walmart working as a cashier. A few weeks after that, I had work and my shift was supposed to end at 11 p.m. However, for personal reasons, I ended up leaving work at around 6 p.m. But to leave early, I had to check in with my manager. While waiting to speak with my manager, I heard her ask one of the colleagues to go to the staff room for a staff meeting. I remember being relieved that I didn't have to go through a staff meeting. On the way home from work around 6.30 p.m., I received a phone call from a random number. I answered and the guy on the other end told me his name and the company he worked for. He called regarding an available job opportunity and asked if I was still interested. I asked, quite puzzled, whether we had chatted recently. What he told me next scared the shit out of me. He said that we had just chatted over the phone an hour ago. When I told him that isn't possible since I'm not allowed to have my phone on me while working, he proceeded to read aloud my name and my number. I asked him if he made some sort of mistake and he said that we spoke an hour earlier. He confirmed my name and number with me then as well. And he told me that we had chatted earlier. I told him to call me back after 6 p.m. because I was in a meeting. This caught me off guard since I'd just missed a staff meeting, as mentioned above. I then explained to him that I work as a cashier at Walmart and that even if we did chat an hour ago, I would not have him call me back at 6 p.m. since I was still supposed to be at work and ended up leaving early for an emergency. I also told him that I actually had just missed a staff meeting by chance as well. At this point, we were both kind of just shocked and kept going back and forth about how strange and weird that is. He was 100% certain that this wasn't a mistake on his end and that we had chatted for sure. He even went so far as to telling me that my voice is the exact same voice that he spoke with earlier. After five straight minutes of complete shock and utter confusion, and ended off on a nice note with him thanking me for my time and 
me wishing him a good weekend. I checked later on that night whether or not I had actually applied to the company he worked for, and it turns out I did apply. Every now and then, I think about how eerie that whole situation was. I mean, I know for a fact that I did not speak to that man, and he knows for a fact that he definitely spoke to me. In regards to the phone records, my dad pays the entire family's phone bills and has all the records. If you guys are referring to my recent log in my phone, this happened over a year ago and I must have cleared my recent calls a million times since then. Also, when I told him he's made some sort of mistake, after reading aloud my name and phone number, he also said that I was one of the only people he needed to contact on that particular day and specifically the only female. This was truly unnerving. I was at a restaurant with my mother and sister, and as we were looking at the menu, I hear someone call my name. This is where it gets really odd. Usually people who think you're someone else don't use your name, and they'll say they're sorry that they thought you were someone else. Is it impossible that they called me by my name? Of course not. However, when I turned around to look at them, they didn't say, sorry, wrong person. They looked encouraged and repeated my name, then tried to jog my memory by telling me where we'd met, a workplace I never had any interaction with ever. I couldn't think of what to say, so blurted out, I'm sorry, I don't know you. And they genuinely looked confused and left. It's still as jarring as it was that day. Let me start off by saying that I was reluctant to believe in the whole glitch thing. But I've had some really big glitches that made me accept the concept as possible. My need to have some sanity, I can't in some way dismiss them. Because they were things that had some level of unsurety, like maybe I was misremembering or just didn't notice, etc. But this one's a little different. I went to a convenience store on my break at work to get my usual energy drinks. I'm a creature of habit. I mean, I get the same kind every single time and only change if they're out of stock or have a new one I haven't tried. So I went to the refrigerated case and reached to grab two of the big ones I always get, and I pause because I saw that they had a new watermelon one. Awesome, I thought, I love watermelon. I picked up the can, read the label because I'm extremely allergic to most artificial sweeteners. So I always check the labels of new ones. As I read it, I made a joke about the can being red and green, very ironically festive colors, as it was just after Christmas. I put the can directly under my arm and grabbed two of my regular ones, big white cans, one in each hand, and I walked directly to the register. I was second in line, and I was also the last. The guy in front of me paid and walked away, and I walked up with the two white cans I had my hands down, First, then I took the one out from under my arm and put it on the counter and was shocked, 
to the point of saying, what the fuck? So loudly, I startled the cashier. It wasn't the same can. It wasn't even the watermelon one. It wasn't the new red and green sugar-free one. It was a black and blue low-carb one, not even close, not even remotely close. Not only that, the can was dirty and dented and it wasn't even cold. Sure, it was under my arm, but it was less than two or three minutes. Not enough time to make it not remotely cold. And the cashier said, what's the matter? He saw the dirty dented can, said, oh, it's okay. I'll wait if you want to go get one that's not damaged. And I said, um, no, that's okay. I'll, um, I'll just get these. I know exactly what I had. I never put the watermelon one down. It went directly under my arm. I read the damn label and examined the can. The colors are so drastically different anyways. I mean, totally different flavors. And I hate the low-carb one. It's literally the only flavor that I don't like. Not only that, but it was dirty and dented. I would never have gotten it, even if it was one that I loved and was the last one in the store. Besides, how was it not cold? The one I put under my arm, the watermelon one, was noticeably cold when I read it. I tried to debunk this, but I can't. I never put it down. I couldn't have mixed it up with my other flavors because they're white cans and the large size, I mean, this was a black and blue small can and it was tightly held under my arm. No one got within six feet of me, social distancing and whatnot. I knew it was something bizarre. So I sat in the parking lot trying to post it on Facebook three times so that I would have a record of the date, time, etc. But my phone kept crashing. I said, okay, refuse to forget or dismiss this. I am not giving up. So I did a video log instead of that on the way back to work so that the event was fresh and accurate. And the other weird thing is that I felt it starting to slip away from my memory, like it was being erased. I would think I need to share this with so-and-so, then go to tell them and then forget what I wanted to tell them. And after several times of this happening, I just got pissed off and felt like it was being deleted. The anger triggered adrenaline and it all came back in full and thanks to my video, I did moments after I know I wasn't misremembering. I'll now have no issues remembering it because I told it to everyone and anyone regardless of my fears or sounding crazy. And yes, they did actually have a watermelon flavor that was new. I went back that day after work trying to buy it again and was successful that time, oddly enough, they didn't have any of the low-carb ones at all. So I think this stuff happens all the time to people. They just let the Matrix or Universe auto-update their memories or something. <laughs> I have my auto-update shut off. I used to work in a casino. One night, I was approached by an elderly woman asking about paging someone over the intercom. I tried to explain where to go, but she insisted that I personally walk her to the desk where they can do that. As I walked her through the casino, she started talking to me. 
She mentioned she was a medium and how her family has always strictly advised her against sharing that information with people. When you work in a casino, you encounter a lot of scammers and odd people. I was polite, but tried not to engage with her much on the topic. As we kept walking, she said something to me about my sister. I stopped and asked how she knew my sister. She didn't, but started talking to me at great lengths about my family. At this particular time, my sister was going through a very difficult time in life that was impacting our family as a whole. I was skeptical, but curious. As she went on, I was careful to neither confirm or deny anything, but just listen to what she had to say. She went into great detail about how my father, mother, and even I played into the current situation. She even began to become visibly emotional, as if she could feel what my mother was feeling. I was utterly astonished, and she told me that I, being the oldest and most diplomatic in my family dynamic, needed to be more outspoken with everyone involved. Everything she told me was undeniably accurate and insightful. But then she shifted her focus. She told me about someone I worked with and went into great detail about how this person looked and how they felt about me. She talked about the dynamic between us and advised me to take caution. At this point, she had lost me. I couldn't think of a single person or relationship in my working life that fit that description. I began becoming more skeptical again and reminded her I needed to get back to work and to keep walking towards our destination. She kept talking to me as we walked and I began to once again find myself astonished as to not just what she was telling me, but also how she would go about it, her body language, her expressions and emotional energy. As we got closer, she abruptly stopped walking. And when I noticed, I did as well and turned back to her. Before I could say anything, she placed her palm at the base of my sternum, above my belly button, just below where my ribcage started. I immediately noticed a physical sensation. I became paralyzed and almost felt like she was stealing the breath from my body. I started becoming hyper aware of my surroundings the lights and dings from the electronic games, the mass amounts of people walking by, but everything seemed to be in slow motion or almost as if it was like I was leaving my body. It could have been only a few seconds. It could have been 20 minutes. I, I don't know. But I felt as if I couldn't breathe and weakness in my knees. I started to feel like I was on the verge of passing out. Casino security saw this encounter and approached us. And when security interrupted us to ask what was going on, it must have startled her because I felt this shockwave through my entire body. She jerked her hand back and started apologizing profusely to me. And as soon as she pulled her hand back, I was able to breathe again and gain control back of my body. I was completely freaked out. It must have been visible because security kept asking me if I was okay. I assured them everything was fine and they walked off. I turned back to the woman still apologizing and she said, if you don't do something about that ulcer, it's going to kill you. 
I was so freaked out. I told her, thanks, but I have to go back to work now and quickly headed back to my office. Not only was I in a bizarre headspace, but I noticeably was completely void of physical energy. The entire experience was the most profound encounter of my life, and I will never forget those words and physical sensation. I was having a lot of stomach issues at the time, but I was far too scared to get medical verification of an ulcer. I had already previously suspected it and was a potential side effect of the medication I was on at that time. But if that wasn't bizarre enough on its own, it gets even weirder. The encounter happened nearly 10 years ago, and it has sat with me ever since. But recently, I was reflecting back on it, and I realized that that second part about the coworker that initially made no sense at all, all of a sudden did. That entire situation played out in my life a few years ago. The description of the person and the very specific details were 100% spot on from what was described to me 10 years ago. I even realized that the entire situation was initiated nearly seven years to the day from the moment this woman described it to me. Not only were the two incidents separated by seven years, but the person she described I hadn't even met yet and was in an entirely different state and company. I don't know what to make of this. I've come here to see what others take is. I'm open to this type of stuff, but I've always approached these situations skeptically. I was in my late 20s or early 30s. I'm in my 70s now and I'm still amazed by this. I bought a silver ring at an art festival, had the ring part that goes on your finger cut off and the rest of the ring made into a charm to wear onto a chain. I wore it every day, I mean 24 seven, never removed it and constantly rubbed it like a worry stone because it was cut off of a ring, it had a lumpy texture, and I was always playing with it. One night during intimacies with my then-boyfriend, the pendant kept hitting him in the face, so I took it off and tossed it across the room onto my vanity table. I heard it hit the table and slide off, assuming it landed on the carpet. The next morning, I couldn't find it. I mean, not anywhere on the carpet not stuck to any part of the vanity, not in any drawer, nowhere. Oh yeah, forgot to mention that the chain it was on had a broken clasp and I had closed it with a safety pin. I had never had it repaired. Also, I always thought that because I spent so much time rubbing this charm, if I ever lost it, it would just find its way back to me. I often said this in a half-joking manner. So about six months later, an acquaintance of mine, a friend of a friend, called me around 1 a.m. pleading with me to bring some migraine medication to her work, which was quite far from my home. She was suffering, so I got the medicine and drove to her workplace at Parkway General Hospital. There were only two or three cars in the parking lot due to the time of day, with only me walking across the parking lot to the back entrance of the hospital and one other person, a woman who was a housekeeper at the hospital by her uniform. 
I looked at her and what the fuck? My necklace was around her neck. I was practically hypnotized as I walked towards her and when I got to her, I reached for the charm pendant and said, you're wearing my necklace. Give it back to me. She said, no, it's hers, that her brother had given it to her for her birthday. I said, this is my necklace and I want it back. I described the rough back to her and the broken chain and I said, that is my chain. It's broken and held together with a safety pin. Take it off. She did remove it and yes, it was the broken chain with the safety pin. She said she wanted to call her brother. So we went into the hospital walking down empty hallways with me, wondering if she was going to kill me there. And we got to a phone and she dialed her brother's number. While waiting for someone to answer, I came to my senses and said, that is my necklace. I I want it back and I want it now. I am not leaving here without it. Amazingly, she wordlessly took the necklace off and placed it over my head and onto my neck. I said thank you and walked away to find my friend and give her her medicine. I asked anyone and everyone who might have been in the house since that night that I tossed the necklace onto the vanity table and no one had been in my house or my bedroom since the night I tossed it onto the vanity. No one had vacuumed my carpet. I still can't fathom how my necklace moved from my vanity in South Miami and ended up on the neck of a housekeeper who worked at a hospital 45 minutes north of my home. She was a perfect stranger to me. This is just the glitchiest of all glitches that I've ever experienced. Thank you guys so much for listening to this week's episode of Blaming on the Aliens. If you haven't already rated me, hopefully five stars, please do so. If you're enjoying the show, it's definitely a great way to support it and to bring other people to the show to listen as well. And if you have not already subscribed or followed or hit the notification bell or wherever you're listening, make sure you do that so that you're not missing any upcoming episodes and you can keep up with any content I post. And head over to Instagram, Blame It on the Aliens podcast is my username. You can DM me, let me know your thoughts on stories or give me your own personal stories. You can also email them to blameitonthealiens1 at gmail.com or click the link in the description to send either a voice memo or a text version of your own story. I would be pumped to have you on the show. Please do that. I need to hear more of your own personal stories. So... Like I said, happy holidays. I hope you guys have a Merry Christmas, Happy Hanukkah, wherever you're celebrating, and also a Happy New Year. And I will be back with the next spooky episode in the new year and also going to be planning to release a little bit more bonus content. Like I mentioned in the last episode, my computer did crash and I had to buy a new computer. Love that right at Christmas time. I am very rich right now. No, I'm not. And... Anywho, I'm going to end this here. (laughs) I hope you guys have a great new year, great holiday, and I will see you guys soon for another spooky episode.